Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study uh, through the Bible, a chapter at a time, and we're like eight years into this thing, so that's really good. We did the entire New Testament, and that took a little over five years, and now we're working on the Old Testament, which uh, we're two years plus in, and I think we'll take a, the Old Testament will take 15 years, so uh, so we're... But we've, we're almost, like we're eight years in, so we did all the New Testament. We're making progress. So um, we're going to keep plugging along, and we'll work through the entire thing together, a chapter at a time, God willing. Um, I like doing the Bible that way. Context is so important. Um, it helps us see how it all ties together. Having the New Testament in our background, um, we see a lot of things in the Old Testament that are types and foreshadows of things that we understand in the New Testament. Um, as we study through, particularly here in Exodus, and we've been talking about the tabernacle and the priesthood, uh, and we'll be talking more about the priesthood in Leviticus, we'll, um, knowing Jesus as our high priest and what he's come to do and what he's done that they couldn't, all those things really help us to tie in how amazing it is. Um, the access that we have to God 24-7 in Christ, you know, that, that we can go to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Because of what Jesus has done, these are amazing things. And having to read about what it took for the high priest to get into the literal presence of God once a year to atone for the sins of the people. That's all he was allowed. And what he had to go through, you know, with all the ceremonial washing and shaving and dressing and everything just right. Um, how amazing it is that we have access to the literal presence of God 24-7 in Christ and what that means to us. And so... Uh, Remember here as we, as we go through Exodus, the, the big things for us to remember out of the book of Exodus were, were the, the uh, Passover and the plagues that led up to the Passover, those ten plagues. So we know that that happened. And then the crossing or the parting of the Red Sea, how important that was and how that, you know, we're, when we talk about baptism coming up this weekend, that symbolic is deliverance happened there through the water. And it's a, it's a picture of, of uh, you know, a, of a type of baptism. Um, then we've talked about uh, the law and the tabernacle in Exodus. And, and so, you know, it's been important for us to see those things, how they tie together. So now we're in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, we just spent quite a bit of time talking about the priesthood and the tabernacle and how things were coming together. And Moses has been up um, with God during this time on a mountain. And um, God's been telling him all these things that we've read about. This is how you're going to do this. This is what it's going to look like. This is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. These are how things need to be made. And so he's been up there probably about a month at this point in time. And in his absence, things are going badly down in the camp. And that's what we're going to read about today. And um, I think there's some stuff we can really take from some of those things in the process. But remember, now these are the people who have been on this journey, you know, still in, in periods of months. And they have seen God move mightily time after time. They've seen God use Moses um, to free them from Pharaoh, although they've complained. You, you remember, you, at every turn, they've complained about things, you know, that anything you can imagine they've complained about. They've seen God move. They've seen the parting of the Red Sea. They've seen the ten plagues, including the killing of the firstborn and how they were rescued from that. They've seen, you know, so remember in the plagues, you know, absolute pitch darkness over everywhere but Goshen and you know, frogs everywhere, but where they were at, flies everywhere, where they were at. They've seen God do this over and over and over again. The parting of the Red Sea, 
So they could cross and they'll see crashing down uh, on Pharaoh's army and, and demolishing it. They've seen that. They've seen water pop out of nowhere from the rocks. They've seen um, the, sh the arrival of uh, quail and manna, God's bread showing up all week long for them to eat, quail showing up for meat. This is their, this is their existence. This is their daily life, God providing for them like that. They've had the, the, the pillar, you know, the cloud and the, and the fire and stuff leading them. They've experienced this day after day after day. And Moses now has just been gone for like a month, 30 days or so, up on a mountain with God, and the people get funny. All right, so just know that that's coming. Um, and, and what you'll see is, so this group of people that's been complaining the whole time, that keeps complaining about everything, they're going to really complain now. And basically what they want to do is they want to get rid of Moses because they don't know where he's been for 30 days. And they don't like this God who only talks to Moses um, because he, he doesn't feel very controllable to them. So they want to make their own little God. They want to have a, an idol that they can put together with their own hands so it's more easy for them to deal with. And, uh, I, you know, a lot of people really want to do that with God. So we always call, we call that, we like to put God in a box. And this is how God always works. And so we get, we sort of fashion our God box. And, and what you need to know is God will never fit any sort of box you create um, because we, we feel like it's more controllable then. He's more con and he's never controllable by us. And um, so they're going to demand an idol to be made. And the leadership who was Moses assigned to take over, Aaron and her, are going to cave without even a fight. And they're going to make this golden calf. And just think about it now, this idol. And God's going to tell Moses, you've got to go back to the camp. You won't believe what your people are up to. And uh, Moses will go charging down, and then we'll see what's happening. So that's sort of the setup. We're in Exodus 32. Fairly long chapter, 35 verses. I want to read through it, and we'll just chat about it for a few moments on the other end. I'm reading out of the NIV. Um, you can read in whatever translation you feel like. The notes are in the NIV. Probably what's going to be on the screen is in the newer NIV. So if I'm reading something different, it's because there was a newer translation of the NIV, and I'm really stubborn. And I stuck with the old one. I'm stuck in 1984. Isn't like a George Orwellian thing? What is George Orwell's thing? Isn't it 1984? There you go. Amazing what he wrote about, because he wrote that way before then, and how much of that stuff happens now like pictures on the wall, like that. That's a whole other subject. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who has brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. 
They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Now, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There's the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is, the sound, it is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. And then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, Why did these people, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> You're getting some of this, right? Just We'll talk more about it, but that's, that's a pretty lame excuse. Did you notice in the exchange that God called them Moses people? And Moses said, no, God, those are your people? I like that. Verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Let's chat about what's going on. So, first six verses. Moses called what they had done a great sin, and it was a very accurate assessment. Um, 
It was a great sin because of the people who had committed it. These were the chosen people of God. Remember, we've, we've been building up this whole point in time and God's hand upon them from the time of Abraham, Moses talks about, and Isaac and Jacob and, and uh, how he, he's led them into Egypt so that they could flourish as a nation and how they brought them out from under, you know, the slavery they were under and the bondage and he'd set them free and he'd, he'd been dealing with them so they would know who he was and he had made himself very real to them, guiding them along the way telling them and promising them that and what Moses was up for was instructions for the tabernacle where God would come and dwell literally dwell with the people and um, and so these were his people they were to make a difference and they were in this amazing relationship with God and yet constantly sort of complaining and wanting things their own way had they had battled this all along and now uh, like it's Moses 30 days out they had committed this great sin. Um, it was at Mount Sinai where they did it. Uh, and this is where they'd heard God's law declared. They'd seen the glory of God revealed in this whole process. So they had seen, they had witnessed all these things. They had promised to obey several times in this process. Whatever God told them to do, they had promised to obey. But in, in making this calf, this golden calf, and the, the idea behind where it said they were they ate, drank, and then they engaged in revelry, um, it, what happened was it, it, the reason they got in, it, it, so it was a big orgy that was taking place. And those sort of practices were common among the pagan gods. And, and so it would have been something they had probably witnessed in Egypt. And so that was how horrific this thing was that Moses comes back into. There's a false god there, a golden calf that they've made. The people are out of control um, and, and involved in this massive orgy taking place in this false worship of a false god. Um, and so they were breaking of the Big Ten that they'd just gotten not that long ago. The first commandment, the second commandment, and the seventh commandment all in one spot. They probably would have worked that party up to get all of them <laughs> before too long. And so... It was a great sin. They had already experienced the, the power and the mercy of God. They had seen the judgments against Egypt, the deliverance at the Red Sea, provisions of food and water, um, God leading them by the, by the pillar and the cloud. And, and so what they do is, is they rebel against the goodness of the Lord. That's what's happening there. That's why it's such a great sin. And that's why they provoked God to anger. So that's what happened. So, you know, what was it that was going on? Well, they were impatient, as they had been all along. Remember, these are people who literally, if in one day something didn't happen the way they wanted, they were like saying, hey, let's go back to Egypt. Remember? We had it better back there in that horrible slavery deal that we had for things like, at least we had salt, they said at one point. At least we had meat. At least we had this. They were constantly complaining. They were extremely impatient and... Uh, and so God had been there, uh, Moses had been there, you know, just a, a little over a month. And, and, um, and so in their impulsiveness, they committed this grievous sin. Um, sometimes our impulses can get us in trouble, still to this day. So we need to be careful. Our impatience can get us in trouble. So one of the biggest problems we have is waiting on God. But... Maturity is, is in the Lord is really 
demonstrated best by being able to be patient and waiting. But they had no patience in this whole process. Um, they, they didn't know how to live by faith and trust God, even though he had been teaching them this throughout this journey on the desert and before. Um, and, and so with Moses gone in particular, they complained when Moses was there, but they really got after it when Moses was out of the camp for a little while. And, and really, the, the, the immediate problem was with Aaron and her, who, who Moses had left in charge, specifically back in verse 24, um, because they were the leadership, and they had seen God move, and they should have stopped it right there and then by saying, no, we're going to wait for Moses, but we know that's not the issue. Um, Aaron goes along with it and actually comes up with a plan and fashions the false god. Although lo later, I love what he said later. Isn't that classic? Well, you know, they decided they wanted this, and all of a sudden they were throwing gold at me, and it went in the fire. Boom! Out popped a golden calf. He forgot the whole thing about the special tool he had that he... <laughs> and how he'd formed it all up, and how it was basically his idea. He kind of went over, oh, you know, these people are evil. I like that, right? So, uh... So, so God's anger was peaked to the point where if Moses didn't intercede for Aaron, Aaron would have been done. But... Moses intercedes for him. Um, and there we see, too, this, this lust for idols that plagues the people of Israel throughout their journey because it, it keeps coming back. You know, every, every leader along the way has to say, Joshua has to say, you know what, if you've got any of those false idols, get rid of them because the people kept carrying them around. And, you know, he said, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And it's time to get rid of them. You're going to see throughout history that the, the Israelites are always drawn back to idols and false gods. Um, even though they, they've experienced the mercy of God and the presence of God, they, they tend to move back into this rebellion time and time again. And so they, they thought what they needed there was an idol. Instead, you know, what they needed was for their faith to be in God and to trust. And they should have, and they didn't. So... And really, within months of all of these displays, I mean, really, day-to-day -day stuff in their life, God's presence, just so acutely real. Um, but, you know, God is acutely real today, and sometimes we miss it. You, you know that I think all the time about how amazing God's involvement in day-to-day -day stuff in my life is to the point where I have to be careful that I don't take it for granted and somehow miss it. But, like, things will happen... And, um, you know, like I'll, I'll, we'll talk about something with some of the folks here in a meeting or something, and like something, oh, we should really work on this, or this is a project we need to do, or we need to find some time, and, somebody, and, and literally someone will show up to do it in minutes sometimes. And, and we don't expect them to be coming or know that they're coming or what they do or not even know their name. Or, and they will literally walk through the door and say, here, I'm here, I've got to do this. Uh, I've got some uh, time to give you. And uh, well, what, what can you do? And we start talking. And it's like exactly what we needed to have at that moment in time. It fascinates me how often that happens. Because um, God is actively involved in our lives. And I, not, not just corporately, but personally. And yeah, I think we miss it a lot of times. Um, and so, you know, that in itself should help us to trust and to be a people of faith. But we, it's not hard for us to get turned around pretty quickly. Just like them. I get it. But... Um, they, they exchanged the glory of the true and living God for the image of an animal. And uh, that, that they would do throughout their history. And, and, uh, and so that was the issue. 
All right. So, uh, 7 through 14. Also, what's being happened here is, is Moses is being tested again as a leader. Um, not only by the people, certainly, but also God looking at his heart for his people. And, uh, and so I, I kind of laughed. You know, I said, God calls Israel your people to Moses, your people that you brought out of Egypt. God knowing it was, those are his people, and he's the one that did all the bringing out. But he kind of puts it all on Moses when they're acting up. And uh, Moses takes it in and then says, yeah, those are your people that you brought out of Egypt. And you, do you remember the whole conversation? I didn't even want to be on board with this. <laughs> I really tried to wiggle out of this for a long time. Um, but by that point in time, though, in Moses' heart had, had um, a love for these people popped in. And so he's actually going to sort of stand in the gap for them in a very significant way, even after that big mess that they've created down there. And so um, so Moses basically repeats to God the promises that God has given him. He's holding God to his word, which is really what uh, a good leader should have done. Oh, wait, no, God, this is what you said in the process. And then, the, so the, I love this, the Lord takes another approach and he says to Moses, okay, fine, here's what I'll do. I'll just wipe them all out and I'll make you a great nation. Now that might have sounded, after what they'd done, that might have sounded like a pretty good deal. Who are you going to lead me? <laughs> and you're going to take care of the rest? But Moses said, no, that's not, that's not a good thing because all of us mess up, right? So um, somebody, you know, a lesser person than Moses might have accepted the invitation, but not Moses. He loved these people, sinful as they were. And again, I take comfort in those things because of God's love for us, even our own condition. And um, he, he wanted for the people to commit to God and glorify Him because of what He'd done. And so, um, so he's, in this whole thing, he, Moses isn't really concerned about himself in the whole process. He really is standing there and, and fighting for the reputation of God Himself. God, these are, this is what you've done, and this will be a testimony to the nations of what you've done in the process. And what good would it be for all of this to happen for these people to be destroyed here at Sinai? Um, it wouldn't be good. So um, now there's, a, there's a thing that Moses... So remember when he asked God to relent, basically, and it says God relented? In some translations there, it says God repented. A lot of people struggle with that because God is, God is unchanging. How can God repent? I don't know if you've ever heard anybody bring this up to you, but if you haven't, at some point you might. I've had a lot of people bring it up to me. Here's the thing. God is using, Moses is using, who wrote it, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he's using human terms to describe this. And what happens is that, in this case, God responds to the prayers of Moses. And God does respond to prayers. Um, and so it's not like he... He, he, he just went, okay, that's what we'll do. And so it's important for us to know that. And the word repented there, why, you know, the NIV says relented. Um, it means to grieve or to be sorry. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think um, God's character doesn't change ever. But his, his response to the prayers and confessions of his people demonstrates the character of God. So, so that's why, why he was willing to not wipe them all out in the process. Um, then it goes on, verse 15 and following, uh, God in His grace basically forgives our sins, but, uh, so this is a pretty big thing, but sometimes 
sin is allowed to work out its consequences. Now, here's, here's the big caveat to that. Um, we know in the New Testament the wages of sin is death and that we all have sinned, so we all deserve death. We know that what Jesus did for us was he went to the cross on our behalf and he paid the price so that, that um, he took our death on him. He died our death so that we could have life. So that's the big sort of transition for us, which we're very grateful for because of what we deserve, all of us, and, and, and yet in Christ what we can have. But uh, in the New Testament, there's a concept that I want to talk about of reaping and sowing. Y'all heard that? Reaping and sowing. Now, a lot of times people like to use that only about finances, and, and, and it certainly applies at some level to finances, but it's not really what it's in there about. Reaping and sowing are uh, kingdom of God principles that help us to experience life. So what we reap, um, what we sow, we reap. We reap what we sow. So here's, here's how this works. If we're sowing some bad stuff that we shouldn't be doing, um, God in His mercy will allow us to reap the consequences of those things so that we don't continue to do them. Does that make sense? So, so if you do things that you shouldn't be doing, there are consequences that will come back at you, and, and it's actually a, a type of mercy because when you start reaping consequences that aren't, you don't enjoy, it should make you go, hmm, why is that happening? And you go, ah, well, it's because I'm sowing into that. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be doing something different. And, and so that's, it, it, it works positively, too, if you're doing stuff that you should be doing, not we're trying to work for anything, but that will work its way out in your life, too, uh, and, and give you a better life. So um, we reap what we sow. Here's what happened. Except, you know, on the cross, now I told you, there's the big caveat that Jesus took a bunch of what we had uh, uh, sown and, and so that we don't reap the ultimate consequence. But sometimes... Uh, here's where we need to be careful. I, let's so I could I could give you lots of situations, but I always want to be careful. Sometimes someone will come to me and they have a family situation going on, and there's a situation in their family where someone is living in a way that they shouldn't be living, and it's causing a lot of distress to the whole rest of the family. And when we'll start talking about that, well, that's okay. I understand that, and and I usually will say, well, who's where's the person who's causing the distress? Almost always they're not in the conversation. And I go, well, that's interesting. Uh, and, and what happens is this person's actions are impacting everybody else in the family in a negative way. And it's not good. And yet the person that's causing all the issues, they seem to be just skating along just fine. And the reason they're skating along just fine is because all the other people in the family are reaping all the consequences and they're not. And so I'll honestly look at them and say, so, so when those consequences start coming, duck. Get out of the way. You're messing up God's thing. And they'll look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what do you mean? If people are out doing stuff they shouldn't do, and, and you're reaping all the consequences, they'll never stop. Because why would they? It's, it's basically consequence-free. They figured out how to make everybody else in their world take all the consequences for them. And so the kindest thing you can do to them is stop. Be because then they have to deal with it. And people, oh, well, this, it, it can go pretty bad. But some, some people, sometimes for people to be changed and, and really come into relationship with the Lord, they got to sort of, anybody here hit bottom before you started moving in the right direction? Um, 
sometimes for some of us, that's what it takes. You've got to bottom out pretty hard. Some people, fortunately, just don't, don't have to really bottom out at all. They just do well. Huh? They're good. They get it. Uh, other of us are more stubborn. But if we're making it so people are living consequence-free lives, then they, they have no reason to make a change. So consider that, you know, in, in situations. It, it applies to many things, but not to everything. But that, that kingdom principle is, in effect, it's God's mercy that we reap what we sow. Except that he stepped in and taken the big one for us, which is really cool. All right? Everybody gets that? Then verse 15 and following, he comes down from the mountain. He tells Joshua, who had been sort of somewhere in that area but not in the camp, come with me. We've got to go deal with this because... Joshua is going to replace Moses one day. He needs to know how to handle these situations. Um, and, and so the breaking of the stone tablets was a symbolic act. Um, Israel had broken the covenant and would have to face the discipline that was going to happen. And so that's Moses' way of showing them that's a big, big deal, the thing that they've done. Moses confronts Aaron because Aaron didn't do what he was supposed to do. Moses turns to the people and says, who's on the Lord's side? That was huge. That was an opportunity for everybody to repent. That was it. That was the call. Okay, who's with God? The, who's, who's really going to be with God? Who shows up? Only the Levites. So um, the Levites show up, and then they, they basically go out and take care of everybody involved in the orgy. Um, that may seem harsh, but that was how it got meted out that day. That was, the, that was the deal for that level of rebellion and discipline at that point in time. That was the consequence. And uh, Paul even talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10. That whole thing happened. And Paul uses that whole thing as a reference about why we shouldn't rebel against God. Moses destroys the calf. He burns it. He grinds it to powder, throws it in a nearby stream, and then he makes them all drink their water so that they kind of get the significance of their sin. He's making sure they get what they've done and not like going to be like Aaron. Like, what? It just popped out of the fire. You weren't here. It's really your fault. That's kind of where they go. Well, we threw a couple of earrings in. Boom, calf. What are you going to do? Have an orgy. Of course. Why not? <laughs> Is there a problem here? Um, then Moses goes back to the mountain with God. It can take another 40 days. He fasts. He prays. He, he uh, intercedes for the people with God. He even says to God, listen, if it comes down to it, you take me instead of them. And God says, well, that's not what I'm going to do. And he says, go ahead. We're going to continue on with this whole process. You're going to lead the people the way I said you. The angel's going to go in front of you. Um, there's still going to be some consequence for some of these folks. We'll deal with that on the journey. The ones who refuse to repent uh, are, are still an issue and uh, always will be. And so over the next few chapters, we'll see um, how some of that discipline plays out in the process in the relationship. But that's plenty for today. That's a lot. It's a big chapter. We'll catch more next week. If you're watching my video, thanks for doing it. Come and visit us when you get a chance. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page. Put in your request. We'll pray for you. We hope to see you soon.